This is The Intuitive Edge, episode 180. Today's guest, the founder of Savor, Kirsten Tibbles. I think I'm very in touch with what I'm doing and what's going to work and what's not going to work. So you can feel and see a big part of what we do is, you know, involving all the senses. So you can really tell if something is going to work, if it needs to be adjusted, but also if it's going to be successful. Welcome to the Intuitive Edge. I'm Victoria Lynn Weston, your host. I'm an intuitive business consultant, entrepreneur, and founder of Studio Carlton. We're producers, voice designers, and developers of custom Amazon Alexa skills. Did you know there's over 10 million homes that have Amazon Echo devices? I embrace big, bold ideas and love doing the unpredictable when it comes to helping business owners and professionals expand their brand, gain recognition, and attract new clients. The future is here, and it's all about voice. Check out StudioCarlton.com. I'm so excited to introduce my guest today. Um, I recently got into sort of chocolates and baking pastries when the pandemic hit, what, about three years ago now? And I stumbled on savor.au, and I've been watching their videos for a while. They make all the chefs there, the pastry chefs, are esteemed, highly educated, highly creative, and they make everything look super easy. And so that sort of brings you in. And then I really looked into Kirsten Tibbles and what an amazing woman and how she came from a childhood of baking cakes and selling them at the age of 12. And that was kind of her first testing out what her destiny was going to be. And it's really exciting, at least for me, when I, when I see people you know, sort of fulfilling their destiny, fulfilling their dreams and goals and, and having that intuitive ability to just basically trust that they're doing the right thing. Kirsten Tibbles is an Australian pastry chef and chocolate TA. Kirsten has represented Australia at world championships and as a judge to global competitions. In 2002, Kirsten founded Savor Chocolate and Pastry School in Brunswick, Melbourne. She's the author of two cookbooks, a regular contributor to pastry publication, and has been featured on several television shows, including MasterChef Australia. It's one of the most followed pastry chefs on Instagram. Kirsten is a regularly referred to as the queen of chocolate due to her contribution to the chocolate industry. Let's go connect with Kirsten and learn all about savor.au and what inspired Kirsten to launch this empire. Kirsten, it's a pleasure to have you here, and I'm really excited to learn more about you as an award-winning pastry chef, but also the, the founder of Savor Online Cooking School, which I hate to reduce it as cooking school. What, do you, what, do you, what would you call it? Uh, it's, yeah, it's a chocolate and patisserie school. We sell education, so yeah, you've got that correct. But anyway, it's really, really exciting, and you have some great videos on there. And I have, think I've watched at least at least a good 30 of them, and I'm making my way through that. So before we get into some of the more details on the culinary school aspect of who you are, tell me a little bit about your training experience, because am I correct that being a pastry chef in general is really more male-dominated? Look, it is a male-dominated industry. I think, well... In Australia, it starts out with probably equal amounts of females and males, but uh, women tend to drop out a little bit more than the males do. So 
it is still a male-dominated area, even though today we're probably getting more women starting out as pastry chefs. And how long have you been a pastry chef? Very long time. So I've been a pastry chef now for 32 years. Oh, my goodness. You only look about 30. So <laughs> you're just a starter as an infant. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, so what? when did you decide to attend culinary school or did you attend culinary school? We have very much the European style of training. So in Australia, you do an apprenticeship, which means that you actually learn on the job and you go to school for six weeks a year. Um, it's the same method that you train in France. So uh, I did an apprenticeship when I was 15. I worked out that that was exactly what I wanted to do. So um, I haven't really looked back. So apprenticeship, when I did it was actually four years on the job training um, and that included six weeks every year going to a culinary school. Oh, wow. And then when did the, the spark hit that that's what you exactly wanted to do? Because it's, it's quite exciting to do what you do and not just make apple pies, but make these exquisite, you know, edible works of art. I knew from a very young age, I probably started baking from the age of eight. And probably from the age of 12, I started selling cakes and, you know, would get quite a few orders on the weekend. I did cake decorating courses from the age of 12. So from a young age, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. Did you have any favorite teachers or mentors along the way that you that you still hold a lot of fondness for? Um, probably later in my career, I would say. Not so much early on. Um, my mum was always very supportive of what I did and she was a great cook herself. So she would encourage me and support me in, you know, my baking endeavours. But yeah, probably later in my career, I was influenced by some of the French chefs like Stéphane Leroux, um, a chef called Stéphane Glacier, um, who I worked with and really, you know, took what I did to the next level. And so today you're obviously extremely successful pastry chef and educator and entertainer for that matter because you're providing all this great, well-produced content on your website, savoir.au. For anybody that's interested in learning more about creating some of your own pastries, it's, it's really fun to explore. So when you're going through all of that and, and through your life, you know, we always have someone, you know, whether it's it's God, a person, you know, that we get inspiration from. Did you ever have a muse? Or do you today? Uh, no, I, I think that uh, what inspires me or pushes me forward is probably, um, you know, taking it day by day, which sounds strange because I think people think I set out a master plan, but I always work on the next project so at the moment I'm working on another cookbook um, I have my own television show so I'm preparing recipes for that so I just always ensure that I'm working on something that is going to allow me to better myself um, and push myself forward so yeah I'm probably pretty self-motivated in that way uh, running the business and then doing all these external projects that um, help certainly help with my career so working with some of these memorable uh, chefs along the way did you learn any secrets from them that you continue on with today oh absolutely um 
particularly Stefan LaRue, he's um, really an artist at heart and some of the techniques and the way he works, I still apply today. Um, you know, he's a perfectionist in everything that he does, um, but exceptionally talented. Very good. So I want to, you know, everything always in life always starts with mom. So was your mother a baker as well? Yeah, my mom was very good. She used to make her own chocolates and she, um, you know, was always into baking and um, creating and always made our birthday cakes. So, yeah, my mom has been a, a very big inspiration in, in what I do. Do you ever feature her in any of your videos? Like maybe she probably makes uh, like more traditional <laughs> stuff. You should have an, you know, an episode dedicated to her on something, right? I should. I should. I do have a video on YouTube with my sister oh. um, who hasn't been handed the family baton on baking. So she's probably the polar opposite. So we did a cake side by side. It's quite entertaining, actually. So when you were a child or in your teen years, did you have like a, this intuitive vision of what you were going to grow up to be? You know, what was your aspiration? Um, I don't think so. A lot of people don't know, but I was actually unwell um, from the age of 12. So I didn't actually go to school. So I probably had a slightly different upbringing to a lot of people. So I baked at home um, and that's probably where I really developed, you know, a love for baking and cooking at home. Um, and as soon as I was physically able to, I actually started work rather than trying to start school at the age of 15 to go back missing, you know, such a big chunk of my education. So for me, it was, um, you know, that was probably the pinnacle of a lot of what I've done. And, and going in the direction I have, um, not having been educated from, you know, a young age. Um, not that it, it restricted my options because I always knew what I wanted to do. So um, it, it didn't impact my decision to be a pastry chef. Now, when you said that you fell in love with, with baking and that type of thing, did you actually fall in love with the creation part of it or was part of it the people that really enjoyed it? You know, that's a really good question. I think it's a combination of both. I love the creativity and the decoration because I actually started a chef's apprenticeship and after a few days I thought, whoa, no, this is not for me. There's no creativity and it didn't spike that passion. But I think a lot of us that bake, part of why we do it is the satisfaction we give other people and the pleasure we can see when other people try our products. So yeah, that's a big part of it. Very good. So you can say that your first job was when you were, I guess you were around 12 when you actually were baking pies and cakes and selling them to customers and that, and that was your first little entrepreneurial experience. So how jazzed up were you about that to be able to create something and not just have somebody enjoy, but actually have, you know, gain monetarily. Did you save the money? Did you go buy a new dress or in your case, did you go buy new pastry tools? Yeah, that's interesting because it was a great system because my mum paid for all the ingredients and did all the cleaning up and then I took all the money. So so it worked quite well. I think at that time it was probably clothing. I was always a big spender on clothes. Oh, wow. So when you created a, a dessert in your childhood, did you make – now I'm assuming when you talked about baking as a, chi, as a 12, as a child in, in your early teens, I'm assuming this is all from scratch, right? 
Yeah, or from scratch. And it was mainly birthday cakes. So I did different decorated themed birthday cakes. Um, some weekends I was selling up to 12 cakes. Oh, so, my gosh. Yeah, it, it did grow quite a bit, probably because it was economical for people to buy my cakes. But I loved what I did. Yeah, but it did grow quite substantially where I was, you know, baking all the week to get everything ready for the weekend. And then, so you made all this money as as a, as a teenager, you know, uh, several hundred dollars is pretty significant. And then did you save that or did you go out again and buy, you know, new cookbooks or did you explore, you know, like you said, you like to buy clothes and that's so maybe you spend all your money on, on the clothes then. Look, I don't think that it was a significant amount of money then. So it was probably, you know, probably just enough to cover the costs of the ingredients. It wasn't so much a money-making venture, more... Um, a great opportunity for me to explore different techniques and work on my skill. Um, so, yeah, it was probably a really great bargain for those people I made cakes for back in those days. Do you still have pictures of that? I do still have some pictures, and I did enter competitions even at the age of 12. Uh, we have shows here in Australia where you can enter, and I did win Best in Show for my baking year on year when I was younger. Oh, wow. Well, that's exciting. So today you, you've been this, this pastry chef and do you do some still work professionally as a pastry chef or as a consultant? I guess I'm curious how you segued from being a, a sole a pastry chef and then to, to launch this online culinary, we'll call it a culinary pastry institute in uh, Australia. Yeah, I'm a pastry chef, but I don't do production, but I certainly test all the recipes for the online classes. So some of the recipes will test up to 20 times. I do a lot of recipe writing. So a big part of my role is to write different recipes. Uh, so I do that for both the online classes, because I think if you're going to spend the money on ingredients um, and take the time to make a cake, it needs to work out perfectly every single time because you're giving up your time and you've invested in the ingredients or the mold. So I want to make that an amazing experience for our students as well. So for that, we test um, a lot. And there's probably 12 people involved in the online classes through to copywriters, um, pastry chefs that also help to test the recipes, film crew, photographers, editors, copywriters. And, you know, all of that together comes together to make the online classes. And how did you segue from, I guess, working for a company? I assume that you worked for a company as a pastry chef, right? Or did you just segue into the, the Savor online uh, school? No, we've, uh, Saver has actually been open for 20 years. Oh, my gosh, really? Yeah, it's our 20th birthday this year. So how we started is by doing hands-on classes. So people would actually physically come in and do classes. And we actually had 20% international students and 80% from Australia. And then from there, it evolved. We actually started selling ingredients and equipment that were specialized for the industry that people couldn't source somewhere else. And then 10 years ago, we introduced the online classes because we were at capacity. We ran classes seven days a week. Um, days and nights and we couldn't expand the the physical school or I didn't want to so I thought what's a great way to actually reach more people enable them to learn my recipes and educate them and the best way to do that was the online classes and I'm sure that's wildly successful for you 
right? Yeah, it's, it's gone very well, particularly during COVID, where a lot of people wanted to bake and nurture their families. A lot of people turned to the platform uh, for inspiration and recipes because, one, they had more time on their hands, but also a lot of people baked during that time. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. Um, so I guess I want to go back to, again, when you started that, because, you know, since my show is all about how intuition sort of fits or doesn't fit into our 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 creative process, our business process and that, did you have like an intuitive spark? Did you just have this vibe? Oh, I want to start this, you know, culinary pastry school or how did it come about? Were you, were you making a cake and you saw yourself on, on TV? You said, oh, I want to I want to do that. I want to change the world or have everybody know they can do this stuff, too. Um, I did. I had started prior to opening the school, you know, training people and educating people because I'd been fortunate enough to spend some time in Europe um, honing my skills. So in Australia, we were quite a long way behind Europe 20 years ago. So I saw an opportunity to share the skills and techniques that I had with others um, and really change the way we think about patisserie and chocolate. So um people asked me to help them and help them with recipes and I thought I think there's a demand here for me to actually open a school and share my knowledge so people don't have to go all the way to Europe they can actually train right here in Australia so I want to visualize you in your professional kitchen and it's early morning and you're fresh and wide awake and dressed up in your chef Kirsten uniform standing at the stale stainless counter and your mind is, is a blank canvas and you're about to create two new petty gateaus and you said earlier you like to write recipes so there you are where does that inspiration come from and how do you begin i i draw a picture first so i actually um have pencils and paper and i draw a picture of what i want to achieve um sometimes i think of things even during the night and i write them down but i start with the a picture of how I want the product to look. And then once I've got the picture, I have a look at what the colors I'm working with and then I allocate flavor. So then I think, you know, what flavors would actually go with the look and feel of that cake. And then I start to allocate different recipes for all the different elements within the cake. Once I've done that and I've typed it all out, yeah, then we start testing. And sometimes we think, oh, you know, that caramel is too sweet. Uh, for the cake on its own, we need to pull back the sweetness. Okay, so we need to adjust it here or that mousse is a little bit too firm. So we actually need to reduce the gelatin or the white chocolate. So we just test and adjust, test and adjust. A lot of tasting, actually. Yeah, that was my next question is you do get to taste all that <laughs> along the way. I know I do when I'm making this stuff. It tastes pretty good, you know. Yeah, it's important to taste. So to understand what textures, flavors that the students are going to experience as well to see where you need to adjust um, the recipe. So when you started to write these recipes, I mean, do you, do you listen to music? Is the music blaring in the background or do you dance or do you just get, you sort of strike me as someone that probably gets very serious and doesn't want any other noise except for what's going on in your brain. Yeah, that's exactly right. I shut the door. Um, and I start drawing and sometimes I draw three or four things and then from there I let it flow and work. I don't know if you can see my video, but you can see here. Um, this is an edible chocolate table that I oh, wow. 
working on at the moment. So then I start by drawing and then once I draw it, I've got a color palette and then I flush it out from there. So yeah, everything starts with drawing, but you are correct. I just shut the door in <laughs> and focus on what I'm doing. So how many hours does it actually take to create, design and taste a, a new dessert like a petty gâteau? Like the one I'm referring to, how many hours was that there? Um, that one, that, that project is probably about a three month project. That's a big one. Cause that's 12 meters of chocolate. So that's a, a huge display. But in terms, uh, for example, yesterday I designed and drew a cake and we started testing the recipes yesterday. We'll finish testing it today and then we will probably not taste it to Monday. So it's probably depending on the product, probably up to three days. Very good. I believe intuition and creativity are like kissing cousins and you can't have one without the other. So how does your intuition speak to you when you're in the creative process? Yeah, I think I'm very in touch with what I'm doing and what's going to work and what's not going to work. So you can feel and see a big part of what we do is, you know, involving all the senses. So you can really tell is something is going to work if it needs to be adjusted, but also if it's going to be successful. Sometimes I do things and I just really don't like it. So I think, you know what, I'm just going to walk away yeah. and start something new. That's good. So, so I guess you say you like to feel, and sometimes you get like a vision in your mind's eye with that. Cause you obviously do. If you just drew out a draft, you have to have something visual and you put it on a piece of paper when you drew it. Right. Yeah. So sometimes from paper to cake, it's changes and evolves. Um, or we might do multiple versions of it, but a lot, big part of what we do is um, something evolving and being open enough to say this would be better like this and not hanging on to that picture that you've drawn. So that's a great starting point, but it's not always a final product. Now, you're called, you have a nickname called Chocolate Queen, and what I've seen from the, the, the Saver uh, Online School is all these other pastries in that and there's some chocolate there but you actually teach people also how to make bonbons and chocolate bars and things like that so how did you get this you know name chocolate queen i was actually titled that i um a reg make a regular appearance on master chef australia which is a cooking show um so they always introduce me as the chocolate queen and my tv show is actually called the chocolate queen um, which is, you know, different chocolate recipes, hacks uh, for people at home. Very good. You also have a cookbook that is called Chocolate, too, and that's available, I guess, over, all over the place. Is that like chocolate cakes, chocolate mousse? How many, how many recipes are there for chocolate in your book? Oh, there's, there's thousands. I'm about to film series three of The Chocolate Queen, and I do 50 recipes per series. Oh, my gosh. And then cookbook has between probably 65 and 80 recipes so and I have a philosophy that I don't double up so if I've made a recipe then I don't use it somewhere else or I don't um, use it again I always like to do something new and fresh so yeah sometimes it that's why I shut the door because it takes a lot of focus to come up with really 80 new chocolate recipe concepts so you have an awful lot of creative thinking going on to have all these recipes and that. So my, my question is kind of a, a segue for a second. And what do you do in your spare time? 
I actually cook, but I also have a farm. So I love going to my farm and I've got a couple of cows and yeah, I really enjoy that planting and farming. It allows me to switch off and relax, but I do actually do quite a bit of cooking in my, in my downtime as well. Oh, wow. That's great. So I know there's a science to baking. All of us know that. Um, and I, and I guess I also want to know too, what is your repertoire of flavors? You say you don't like to do the same recipe twice, but you must have a certain repertoire of flavors that you go to. I try to do flavors that are accessible for most people. Um, you can do sometimes obscure flavors like a white soy sauce and a, but what I find if I'm using flavors that aren't easily available, it, it deters a lot of people from replicating what I'm doing and what I'm wanting to do is get people to recreate my recipes. So as a rule of thumb, I try to use ingredients that people can find. Um, most people can find and they're actually quite accessible. Very good. And a lot of your recipes on, on the website, you use a particular chocolate brand, Calibit, right? Yeah, Calabart chocolate. Um, I'm a global ambassador for Calabart Chocolate, so um, I do love their product. And one of the main reasons is because it's made with 100% sustainable cocoa beans. Um, but I've traveled and demonstrated for them all around the world. It's an excellent chocolate. And at one of the um, issues I had with the Petit Cateau that I made had uh, the white chocolate that was 28%. So now I have just enough experience to know that I'm not going to mess around with Valrona that has 35% white chocolate and expect this recipe to come out. So I went online and I couldn't find, you know, anything that could be, because, you know, when you live in the South like we do, it's very difficult to send white chocolate and without spending $100 in overnight shipping. And I had this intuition when I went to one of the web restaurant supply stores that I thought I remembered them having this Calibit chocolate. So on a whim, I went there and I found this, 11 pound block of white chocolate 28 percent i was so excited because a it only cost me 56 dollars, and if i was going to order it on amazon it would have cost me 125 so i use that white chocolate and again i stress to people trying these recipes that it's always good to go with the exact chocolate that the chef is telling you about otherwise it's never going to come out quite the same yeah, there is a lot of variation in chocolate. So mainly the sugar content and the amount of cocoa butter. Um, so yeah, it will change consistency, flavor. And of course, if there's too much sugar, um, products often won't freeze because sugar doesn't freeze. I know, I know that. So you've got this other book, Chocolate, and I know, are you working on another book as well? I'm Gosh, you're just so busy between TV shows and doing all these recipes. Yeah, I've just started the process, and it's a two-year process. So, um, yeah, that will probably be a bit over two years before that comes out. So now that you have this, the online uh, school, and it's all about business, you have a passion for what you're doing. But when you make a recipe, when you're doing certain things, you take in cost as part of it. Like even if a student's going to make it, do you think, oh, it's going to cost them at least a hundred bucks to make this dessert? Or how do you, how do you look at that? Because you don't sell these desserts in, in a shop. You're just basically selling uh, education. I do certainly do take that into consideration. I try to do a variety of recipes to so some that are affordable and achievable and you can make with things that you probably have in your pantry at home um, and then I do products that are 
technique driven and more aspirational, which will cost you a little bit more to invest in a mold and maybe a broader range of ingredients that you may not necessarily have at home. Um, but also take into consideration that we we cater for both professionals and non-professionals. So um, professionals will quite often have the range of ingredients and possibly the moulds, or they can substitute the moulds I'm using for something else. Um, and people at home, I try to give alternatives where possible. So if you don't have that mould, that's okay. You can try to do it like this in a tray and then cut it. So where possible, I try to give alternatives. But there's always recipes there where you would find most of the items in your pantry and don't require any specialty equipment. So I am very conscious of that. Now, in your school, when you test all these, all these recipes, how many pounds of chocolate do you actually go through? Oh, <laughs> uh, we probably go through about... Uh, it's probably a bit less now, maybe about eight ton a year. So I don't know what that is in pounds. Um, it's probably about 16. I, I don't know what a, a ton is, a thousand kilos. So um, it's probably 16,000 pounds of chocolate. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> when did you first fall in love with chocolate? Um, my love for chocolate actually came about when I first went to Europe. My first, very first trip, I won a scholarship to to Germany to a trade show called EBA. And when I went there, they had lots of the world's top pastry chefs demonstrating for different brands. And it was a real eye-opener for me um, seeing them particularly work with chocolate and the um, the flexibility of the medium and you know, the variety of things that you could actually produce from it. So I actually asked all of them, can I come and work for you? Can I come and work for you? And they'd say, no, 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 no. But I just went every day. So the event was for five days until I got a couple of them to agree for me to come in to their kitchen. So um, I volunteered at a few places in Europe, which was great. Um, and, you know, that's probably where it all started, you know, the seeing the versatility of the chocolate itself. And what's like a, your best chocolate childhood memory? Oh, it's not a great one, but the strongest memory is when I was eight, I went to my friend's house and her mum had a brand new oven and we um, made a cake out of the Mickey Mouse cookbook, a chocolate cake. And instead of putting a cup and a half of flour, we put a cup and a half of bicarb soda or baking soda so the cake actually exploded in the oven <laughs> and um, baked on the walls of the new oven and we're in a lot of trouble. But that's probably my strongest memory, but not not necessarily a great one. I did I had a rocky start to my baking career. That's pretty interesting, though, because you obviously had a lot of uh, confidence to create something like that. Not Probably had some intuition. It probably wouldn't work out exactly what you wanted, but to be able to put those ingredients together and have the whole thing kind of explode. Were you ever invited yeah, back? Yeah, well, the oven was never quite the same. So. so anyway, I believe in destiny. And I always think that, you know, we're doing what we're supposed to do in life sometimes. So do you feel like you're living out your destiny and life purpose? I mean, it sure feels like it, all the uh, accomplishments that you've had and what you're doing. and. Oh, absolutely. I think a lot of people have career changes and decide, you know what, I'm going to diversify or I'm going to change direction. For me, I've never considered 
looking into something else in the industry. I absolutely love what I do. And I think it's the creativity and, and I guess because I don't do production or work in a restaurant or a hotel where you've probably got some repetitiveness in what you're creating because every single day I create something new. So where do you see yourself 10 years from now? You know what? I don't look that far ahead. Um, I look at project to project and I'm always aiming to improve myself and try something new. But, you know, in 10 years, I hope that we are continuing with the online classes and, you know, we're, we're continually growing the business. We're always trying to improve the platform. Um, we're working on a new website now, but that's an ongoing with technology. It's an ongoing um, piece of work because you have to continually update it with new advancements in technology as well. So, yeah, no firm plans, but, you know, always trying to better myself. How big is your presence in the United States and Canada? Actually, um, my biggest audiences are in the United States, both on, on all platforms, on social media, on online classes. Um, I'm not sure why. I did write for a, a publication, a magazine that no longer is in print um, for nine years. I did a recipe every issue. Um, so I don't know whether that has contributed. Uh, my TV show is even not in USA. It's in 60 countries, but not in USA. So yeah, I'm not sure where that's coming from. Maybe it's a sheer population and your love of sweets. So the one thing I want to ask you, though, like if you just have you have a dinner party, and I'm sure you must entertain uh, from time to time, what is your go-to dessert? I mean, you've got all these desserts, these cookbooks. You never do the same thing twice. What is you have to have a go-to dessert? Maybe it's simple apple pie. Um, in the winter, so it's coming into the cold months here, I would either do a chocolate souffle because I think that's beautiful and light. You can serve it with a chocolate sauce and an ice cream, or I really like a liquid center chocolate pudding. So really quite simple. Um, in the summer, I prefer something quite light. So um, it would be a mousse cake or a pavlova, um, something along those lines in the summer months. Very good. And what is one thing you would tell anybody if they were wanted to become a pastry chef, the, the one tip they should do first before they embark on a career? I think you need to have the mindset with being a pastry chef that things change and evolve. And if you've got a method or technique of doing something, be open to changing that. And I think you need to continue learning. So if you're not learning as a pastry chef, it's time to move on to another another career. But you need passion and you need drive um, to be a good pastry chef. Very good. Kirsten, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you. I wish that we had more time. I know that it's super early in the morning where you are, and I know you have a big day ahead of you. So I look forward to having another conversation with you as you expand your uh, online saver.au culinary school. Thank you so much, Victoria. Thank you for having me on and uh, part of your podcast. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed today's show because even if you're not a baker, you have to be inspired and motivated by Kirsten Tibble's unique vision, passion, and how she found her destiny at the age of 12, baking cakes, and that became her, her empire. And if you're interested in exploring exciting recipes, check out saverschool.au. And if you're even not a, a pastry 
person or baker in that, you'll find some extraordinary recipes that you can share and learn about. I've tried many of them. I've done the brioche recipe. I even know how to make inverted sugar now, which I never would have been able to do, you know, a few years ago. And I'm on to entremets, which is a composed cake. And I'm working on that as a petty gâteau. And if you're ambitious and you want to market your business in innovative ways, like on a voice platform, you have to check out studiocarlton.com. We are voice designers, developers, and producers of Amazon Alexa Skills. It's such a fun, exciting way to interact with your audience, expand your audience, engage your audience, and generate new business. StudioCarlton.com. Thanks again. Until next time. The Intuitive Edge is produced by the Weston Media Group, LLC, Atlanta, Georgia.